And welcome to everyone who's joining us on Facebook and on YouTube today. We're so glad that you're connecting with us through that digital platform. Make sure that you're saying hello and letting us know that you're here. We, we love to see those comments and your encouraging words to each other and to the church. Uh, we're, we're excited to dive into week number four uh, of our series called I'm In. And, and we've talked about the fact that we're invited. We are invited into the family of God. We've talked about the fact that we're invaluable, that God has placed a gift in you that no one else can duplicate. He has specifically gifted you for ministry within this church and within this city, and you have a role that you need to fill. Otherwise, the whole body is hurting in the absence of you using that gift. We we, we talked about the fact that we, so hold on, we were invited, we're invaluable. Last week was, I don't remember either, what just happened to my mind? influential. Thank you. I'm glad that someone was paying attention. I wasn't paying attention myself. No, I've got too many things rolling around up here right now. Um, influential, uh, that you have influence, that, that what you do matters, and that even within the context of your household, your influence is so important. And, and this next week is going to be a fun one to get into. It's the last one of the series, but before we dive into that, I want to call your, ba- your memory back For those of us that still have memories, I apparently don't. I need a minute to get there. Um, Call your memory back to those incredibly important moments that you love to talk about. That that, that moment that that you treasure, and we all have it. And no, I'm not talking about the first time you learned to ride a bicycle. I'm not talking about when you fell in love. I'm not talking about your marriage day or, or when your children were born. I'm talking about that incredibly treasured moment of the times when we buy things that we can't afford and we just swipe it. And we just go for it. And, it. and it feels so good as we make those payments over the next 36 months at the minimum amount and get to pay 20% more each year for the thing that we bought. And, and the thing we bought, it only lasted for three or four months, but we will always treasure the memory of buying those things. No, we won't treasure it for very long, will we? But we all have had that experience where... We thought the best thing to do right now would, would be just to go ahead and buy, to go ahead and get. And we, we invest in our image. We invest that this is going to make us feel better. But then that feeling slows. And if you're, if you're quick, you're catching on today. What we're talking about is what we invest in. And just for clarity, for those who are new to Gulfside Church, this is going to be a message where we talk about what we're investing ourselves into, and it's going to lean into some of the topic of money, and everybody gets uncomfortable when the church talks about money. But this is, I think, the second time over the course of the three years of Gulfside Church life together that I've talked about money, and so we don't lean into this area much, but you can't help it when you're going through the things that Jesus taught because about one-eighth of the things that he taught were geared towards finances and how we view them. I mean, he dives into it, and so you can't go through what he teaches without bumping into the area of finances. And I think the reason that we get so uncomfortable with churches talking about finances is because it's so closely tied to our heart. The things that we're able to buy, the things that we're able to have, the things that we want, we want to get them when we want them, not when we can afford them, which is why the average American household has so much credit card debt. And to begin to talk about money on God's terms, I think there's an uncomfortable feeling that we get because we understand that that would mean adjustment of the way that I live my life and the way that I use my money, which therein gets to the problem. When we take any section of our life 
and we segment it away from God. And we say, this is mine, not yours. When we know, and those of us who have been around church for for a while know that what Scripture teaches us is we're stewards of what we have. That these things are quickly passing through our hands, but we have a responsibility to use them properly while we have them. And this is what I want you to see. And connected with all of this series, there is a truth that you are investing your time, your attention, and your finances into something. And I think that in the busyness of things, we've lost sight that we're making an investment every single day, with every single swipe, with everything that gets our attention, we're making an investment. And a lot of the time, the investment is something that we will only want for a month or two And then it's gone, even though the payment remains. And I want to encourage you today to invest in something that matters. To to invest yourself, invest your time wisely. And and I know as I bring up the memory, when I talk about swiping something, there's probably something that came to mind when I said, you know, that thing that you couldn't afford, but you got it anyway because you swiped it. There's probably something that came to mind for most of us. And it's a memory that we'd like to lose. But I also know at the same time that if I call to mind, what's that time that you gave? What's that time where, where you saw a need and God prompted your heart and so you walked over to someone else's cash register because you saw a family and you said, I have your groceries today. Or, or you, you had a friend who was going through a difficult time, a car breakdown, and God prompted your heart and, and you, you took care of that need. Or the first time that you gave at church and you felt the, the, this truth that, okay, I'm finally lining myself up with God in the area of finances and that, that freedom and that joy that it gave you. Or the fact that maybe you've been connected to the kids' ministry and you say, okay, this kids' ministry happens because I help give to it and you get to see these young children fall in love with Jesus for the first time. When we think about finances, it can either bring up anxiety or it can bring up joy. And the thing that really determines what emotion comes back is what we invested into. Was it worth it? Is it working? Is it doing what it should? And I know that generally all of you love to give. We all love to give. There's something in us that when we get the opportunity to give and we have the resources to do it, there is a joy that is associated with getting to do it because you were designed to feel that way. You were designed to be generous. And I think that you know that you're happier not when you have more stuff, but you're happier when you're able to express generosity to people who need it. And so kind of as we get into our first passage of the day, I'm going to give you three different passages that I believe deserve our attention. And as we get into the first one, I think that you're going to see that it teaches us. Jesus said this in some different ways, and I want to sum it up like this, that that our God has created us to pour out, not store up. God has created us to pour out, not store up. And there's a typo there, and it is mine, not anyone else's. I'll own that. Um, God has created us to pour out, not store up. And where this concept comes from is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. And we'll go to this um, text up on the screen. And it says, Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves cannot break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, there the desire of your heart will also be. This gets into an intention uh, of where our heart is, because that's really the root issue of what's going on with the way that we handle our money. That's what God is concerned about, is if we're allowing money to have a place of control in our affections and our heart that it doesn't deserve. Because the way that we use our resources on earth 
matters because it affects far much more than just ourselves. And as we were going through this, I was reminded of a, of a key time in my life. I was in college, and on Friday nights, I mean, you, you guys know what most college students do on Friday nights, but I went to a Christian college, which had very different rules, very different lifestyle, and God had just gotten a hold of my heart in a really unique way, and I had decided for that semester that I was going to invest my Friday nights in going to downtown Atlanta with a group of other college students, and we were doing what's referred to as street ministry, which means you just walk around and look for people to talk to, like you're that crazy person who's just walking around downtown Atlanta on a Friday night in the bad parts of Atlanta, look for someone to talk to and try to pray with them and encourage them and share the faith with them. And we did this every Friday night through the semester. It was really cool. Got to make a great connection with some ladies who owned the, this kind of hippie store down there. Her name was Omeka. We would visit with her. We changed her perspective of what Christians were because she considered them to be very hateful. And we prayed for her on a weekly basis. And our meeting point downtown every Friday night was this little coffee shop. It was a little Christian coffee shop down there. And we'd start there and we'd go out all over Little Five Points of Atlanta. And one of the nights we got there, there was this person there who was playing music. And it, it was such a cool thing. It was just him, his acoustic guitar, and he had these pedals in front of him, and there were repeater pedals, and so he'd like bang on his guitar a little bit, and it would record it, and, and he'd create a layer where it was like the drums, and then he'd do something else on his guitar, he'd record it, and then he'd loop it on top of each other. And by the time he was done, it sounded like this whole band playing together, but it was just him and his guitar, and we all got there, and we were just captivated sitting there watching this happen. And while we were doing that, a girl named Heather in our group kind of spoke up, and she said, hey guys, this is not what we're here for. And it kind of woke us all up because it's like, okay, we realized we didn't come down to Atlanta just to listen to a concert. We came here to, to encourage people, to help people. But I heard her say that sentence in a completely different way because she said, this isn't what we're here for like right now. Like we need to go out to the places that we go down here in Little Five Points. I heard it like, this is not what we're here on earth for. And it shook me for a moment. I don't know if you've ever heard someone say a sentence and it's like you hear it completely different than the rest of the people in the room, but it was one of those moments of just incredible clarity where it, it rung in my head that I am not here on earth just for my amusement. And I don't know that I could ever convey the strength of the way that God spoke, to, spoke that to my heart, but one of the, the things that we have to grab a hold as followers of Christ as followers of Christ, of people who have responded to the gospel, who see eternal worth in people who are broken, people who understand that we will live forever somewhere, there needs to be a moment that shakes the way that we view our world around us that says, just for your own pleasure, just for your own enjoyment, is not the purpose of your life. If you read The Purpose Driven Life, the very first sentence of it probably rings in a lot of your head still. The very first sentence says, it's not about you. And this can be a difficult step to cross, but church, I'm telling you, before we will ever even consider doing things financially God's ways, the very first thing that I think we have to decide is say, God, I, I see it's not about the treasures here on earth that matter, it's about the treasures that are in heaven. Because if my heart is supposed to belong to God, then my heart has to be where he is at. And I know that he is not here 
and oh, I'm going to step on some toes with these Jordans, and th- these brand new Jordans that I want so badly. These aren't Jordans, don't worry. These are $35 shoes from Rack Room Shoes, but they're still pretty fresh. You can't see them, that's okay. My Adidas is, I love them, all right? But there has to be this shift that says it's not about me. My resources aren't about me. My, my finances, and it's okay to use your finances to clothe yourself and, and take care of yourself. But if you're doing it at the expense of ever being a blessing to someone else, we are missing the heart of Jesus. That can't be the way that we live. It can't be the way that we see the world. And I say that once again because God has created us to pour out blessing, not just store it up. He has created us that we would not be storing our treasures here on earth, but we would be storing them in heaven. And I think the thing that really delays us in getting those things started is this, what I call the, the when-then lie. We, we often just kind of make this when-then, that, you know, when I make enough, then I'll start giving. When, when I have enough, then I'll be generous to my family members. When I finally arrive, when I fill up the barn and, and, and the place that I have with the toys that I want, then... But the thing is, it's, it's a lie that, that it never really feels enough. And, and one of the ways that I'd prove that to you is by going to one of the richest people who ever lived, one of what's counted as one of the first billionaires ever on earth, John Rockefeller. He, he was asked this question, how much money is enough? Because the amount of money that he had was just unreasonable to people at the time. To have a billion dollars, it was like a made-up number for someone to have. And so a reporter asked him, when is enough? And his answer, John D. Rockefeller, said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And doesn't that sound familiar? From the time where you got out of school and you were making twenty dollars or $30,000 a year. And it was like, man, if I just had a little bit more, I would have enough to be generous. And then you were making forty, fifty. And it slowly works its way up to 100, but it still is just the sense, well, my bills changed. Well, why did they change? Well, I just need a little bit more. I deserve a little bit more. And what we find is the people who at $40,000 decide I'm not going to exercise any generosity in my life, they make the same decision when they're making 100 or 200. And, and I say this not because I think that you should be giving a specific amount. But I say this because if you don't learn to exercise the muscle of generosity early in life, it's so, so much harder to apply it later. When it, whenever I, I talk about finances, I, just, I have to tell the story from my senior pastor, Greg Paris, of what he did to his son. And I think I've shared it the other time that I taught, but it just so encourages my heart because it's such a struggle that I think I would have felt. One of his sons, you know, growing up in a pastor's household, was taught to tithe from a very young age. And when he went through high school and college, tithing was pretty easy. But then when he got out of college, he got a really good job and an incredibly significant pay increase, which meant that there's going to be zeros added to the other end of his tithe, and not just on the decimal side, all right? I mean, he was going to be giving thousands of dollars a month, and he called his dad to get some advice, and he just said, Dad, am I really supposed to write a check this size? I mean, I could do this when, you know, I was making less, but it just feels unreasonable for me to be giving this much. And and Pastor Greg is a wise man. 
And so what he said to his son, he said, I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. But before I do, and you know that God answers my prayers, right? Like God, I'm close with him. And when I speak to God, God listens. And so I just want to remind you that before I pray. But what I'm going to pray is that God would reduce your salary back to a point where you would feel comfortable obeying his scriptures. And his son said, okay, okay, wait, 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 wait. I get the lesson. I got it, dad. I'm good. And it's that sense that when I have enough, then I'll be able to give. I want to tell you, don't buy into that lie. In fact, don't buy into the lie that I'll have an opportunity into the future to be obedient to God because what we're told is we have today. We have today to obey him. We have today to honor him. And and Jesus continues to teach us about this. Um, We're going to go into Luke chapter 12, verse 16, and we'll put this up on the screen. And Jesus was teaching, and he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build bigger ones. And then I will store my surplus grain, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Now, first of all, in this passage, the thing that, that doesn't pop off the page to us that would have popped off the page to the people that Jesus spoke to, um, that, that they would have caught very easily. When he says that there's this abundance that came from the ground, they would have immediately seen that as that's a blessing from God. That, that when God causes these crops to grow and you're faithful and you take care of them, but it, it is something that flows from God. And so they would have seen this rich man is rich because what God has done. And so what he has and what he has prepared, that he's already labeled as a rich man, and so he has a rich man's barns, but he has become so blessed that in order to keep what he has, he has to tear down the barns and build bigger ones. I mean, have you, not you, I'm sure you wouldn't have done this, um, or or me, but the, the concept, I need to get a bigger house, bigger garage, because I have bigger toys now and need more places to keep my toys. This mindset of just continue to put all of the things that God flows into my life into myself and into the retention of those things, it's short-sighted. Because what you're given is an opportunity to use these things. What will you use them for? And what will you be proud of having used them for at the end of your days? As the first passage talked about, we want to store up treasures in heaven. In the next, in the passage, and Jesus teaches with this dramatic moment in here. I mean, that's ultra dramatic, isn't it? Where he says, you, you've created these big barns for yourself and you've stored up, but you're not going to get to use them. But we also know that it's true, that, that we never plan on the day where our time ends. But we know at the end of it that there will be an estate sale where someone is going through our stuff saying, why did they buy so many souvenir spoons? Why do people buy souvenir spoons? I don't get it if that's your thing. I know it's a thing. But within our, our households, I have a box of wires that someone would look through and be like, why did he keep all of these adapters from the 90s? I might need them, all right? I don't know. They're there in my garage. We all store up something. 
alongside of the things that are stored up in our garages are there treasures that are stored up in heaven. That when it is time for us to be called to our true home, will, will we be proud of what we left behind and gave away? And will we be proud of what went ahead of us into glory? It's a choice that we want to make. It's, it's a choice that we want to invest in. And so one of the choices that I want you to make is I want, I want you to choose blessings, blessing others over building bigger barns. Now, this isn't to say that we can't have something that's nice, but I'm going to tell you the things that we have in our life should be balanced against the things that we give away. God has called us to, to, to find that percentage, and Scripture sets a tenth as the percentage that this is what we should be using to bless others, and, and the rest we use to take care of our family, and even on top of that, we can go above and find opportunities to be generous with an offering above that. But the tithe is really the starting point to work towards. And I understand that because of choices that many of us have made in our lives, we can't jump straight to that. But I don't want your fear of not being able to go straight to a tithe to stop you from being generous in some way. And also, if there's some sort of sneaking suspicion that, you know, the church is about money, I don't care if you give it to the church. Listen, I care for your heart enough as the pastor, and I believe in the church. I believe that our church is impacting and changing the city, and we are just barely getting started in what God's going to do through this church. But for your heart's sake, that if your excuse in your mind is, well, the church just wants money, so I'm not going to give money, then find a good organization to start giving to. Because if you don't want to do that, then you know within yourself the issue isn't trusting the church. The issue is you're not ready to listen to God on finances yet. And the reason that that bothers me is that I know that that's going to creep into other areas of your life. There is something about having a whole heart that is God's that says whatever you want for finances, whatever you want for my integrity, whatever you want for the words that come out of my mouth, whatever you want for the investment of my time, that all of these areas, God, are yours. And when we keep one area unhealthy in our life, that cancer will spread. And so if you're not ready to give to Gulfside Church, give to Diplomat Wesleyan Church. Give to Cape Christian Church. Give to Cape Assembly Church. Give to a program that feeds people overseas. Get started with generosity somewhere. I believe that as you find freedom in giving and joy in giving, God will open up your heart about what you should do with the church that you belong to. I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about the finances of our church because God has been faithful in providing what we need, but I am worried about some of our hearts that have been closed-fisted to God. We have an opportunity to be a blessing to other people, but we've been building barns because it's comfortable, because it's familiar, because it's what the world around us does. But Christian, follower of Christ, person who has said, you are the Lord of my life. God has called you to use a portion of your finances for other people. And you have to get started somewhere. If it's setting apart $10, $20 to find opportunities to be gen generous somewhere during the month, do that. Get started. You're going to feel a part of your heart that feels like it's doing what it was designed to do when you begin to express generosity. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verse 12, this is the third and last passage we're going to look through today. We, we see this interaction that is familiar with us, and, and it's where Jesus fed the 5,000, but the passage says 5,000 men. You can glance over there and not recognize it. That's not counting. They didn't count the women and the children. And so this was easily 15,000 people in this passage that Jesus was teaching to. 
This was the largest crowd that he ever taught to that we have recorded in the scriptures. And so as he's teaching here, it starts off and it says, late in the afternoon, church service that has gone late into the afternoon. You know the feeling when, pa- I better check my clock. Yeah, I'm okay so far. Um, you know the feeling when pastor goes late. Have you been in a service where pastor kind of keeps going before? Never at Gulfside Church. It always ends on time, right? It's always, you always want just a little bit more, pastor, if you could have just gone a little bit longer. Late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him, Jesus, and said, send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There is nothing to eat here in this remote place. But Jesus said to them, you feed them. But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Or are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? For there were about 5,000 men there. Jesus replied, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. That would be 300 groups-ish of 50 people. So the people all sat down. And Jesus took five loaves and two fish and looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then Jesus, then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. As this passage starts, and he's going late into the afternoon, you can almost see the huddle forming amongst the hungry, hangry disciples, where they're recognizing, okay, we're going to have to set Jesus straight in a minute here because he's going all afternoon long. And he needs to recognize that we need to eat and they need to eat. And so they kind of set up together, they teamed up together and went over to Jesus and said, we need to send them off to get food. Like get your head on straight here, Jesus, which is never a good idea to approach him in that manner because what he will respond back to you is something like, you feed them. I'm sure the disciples were like, oh, that did not go as planned. (laughs) This was supposed to end and now we created more work for ourselves. Judas is probably gripping the money back a little bit tighter. Like, you want us to feed all of them? That will take more than what we have. And Jesus does a miracle that it doesn't even make sense. He has 300 huddles of about 50 people. And that food that they had, what they had in their hand materialistically was not enough to cover feeding one of the 300. But there, there's a principle in the kingdom of God that when God blesses something, he'll make a way. There's a principle within the things of God that, that when you do it his way, he handles the results. And I know the tension that I have felt and fought, and especially early in our marriage, when, because I come from a scarcity mindset. Like when the disciples are like, we don't have enough to do this. That's how I felt for a long time. Like we don't have enough to really give. But I'm going to tell you, someone who has a scarcity mindset, when you finally take that risk and you're generous and you recognize, okay, when I give, God provides, it's, it's shaky ground at first, but man, it's exciting and, and it's fulfilling And you begin to say, okay, when I trust God with what he asks to do, he provides what I need. If he can take just a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish and feed thousands, I know when when I give what I'm supposed to give, even though it just feels like a little, 
First of all, I know he's going to multiply it and use it within the church and within the city, but I also know he's going to make sure that my needs are met too. But on top of that, I, I always want to tell you the truth. I, I, I know that God does provide, but I also know that God will let you do without things, especially things that are in a place in your heart that they don't belong to be. They don't belong there. When, when I find my security in a materialistic thing, God will be happy to help remove that hole that it has on our heart. As we start to give, there will be choices that need to be made about going out to eat sometimes, about what we want to buy. That's part of it. But we have to look and say, okay, what am I investing in? What is it that matters the most? What is it that matters for the most amount of time? And I know that it's not going to be the thing that I could buy and sweep. Um, and swipe. <laughs> I know it's not going to be the clothes that, that wear out and then are gone, but I know that what I invest in, what matters most, it has to be the people around me. And this is what I found. My, my favorite investment that we can make is in the local church. Because at the local church, we're able to see when a family needs help, we can help them. We're able to see when a single mom who, who needs help paying for preschool to get her so that she can continue to work, we can be connected to that family on the local level and we can help them. We have a connection with Diplomat Elementary School and we're, we're providing gift cards for the guidance counselor to give when she sees families that are in need because she has interactions with students who don't have what they need. And we have the opportunity to do that. We have the opportunity to provide ministry for children, for teenagers, we're, we're providing ministry for adults, for men and women. All of these things, I believe, are just even getting started in the power of what they're going to do. But all of these things are happening because each one of us individually decide to be generous, to decide to invest in the kingdom of God. And what I want for you, and hear my heart clearly on this, what I want for you is not to start giving because of compulsion or pressure from me. What I want from you is I want you to honestly have a conversation with God and ask him in the area of generosity, in the area of the way that I'm investing the resources you've given me, what would you like me to do? And I believe that as you ask him, he's going he's gonna to show you places that you can have an impact. Maybe it's giving through Gulfside Church. Maybe it's giving through another organization. Like I said, I don't care. My heart does not hinge on that. But what I want for you is a heart that is completely free. I want you to be able to be a blessing because this is what I found and this is the, the closing thought. And band, you guys can come on up as I wrap this thing up. What you keep is all you have. But what you give, God multiplies. When we give, he multiplies it for work within the kingdom. When you give, he sees that he can trust you with more, and he often blesses with more. But the blessing isn't in the finances, because what really happens, what I see when we start to give, it's that our heart has become freed from the control of finances, and so our joy is no longer dependent upon what's happening in our bank account. Our joy is dependent on what we're seeing God do in the people around us which I believe is the point that God wants to bring you to. Where your eyes are turned outward and not just inward. Where the blessing flows through you, it doesn't stop with you. 
that you're not just building up barns for yourself, but you're finding needs in your community, you're finding other people's households that your hand can impact and show them the love of God. So as, as a pastor, as a young pastor, I'm going to tell you, I don't really like talking about money. I would much rather talk about the amazing work that Jesus did on the cross, the way that he empowers us to be at work within that city. But it would be, I would be remiss in my responsibilities if I did not speak into an area that is such a stronghold in so many hearts of our finances. Don't allow any part of your life to be separated from God. And don't allow yourself to miss the incredible joy of expressing generosity to the people God has given you in this day. Because this opportunity is passing. Let's make the most of it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you use us and I thank you that you entrust to us resources and that you are generous to us in providing our needs and we have the opportunity to express generosity to those around us. Jesus, may we honor the way that you lived. May we honor your teachings by the way that we handle finances. May we as a people and as, as a church always be found generous. In Jesus' name we pray.